All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's a beautiful morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Michael Jr. That is me with me as always. Super producer extraordinaire, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Not much, Mike. Just came off of a footballist weekend, other than listening to it on the radio. Uh, segue to your job. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, always an interesting litmus test at this point during the season because we are coming off what I think could have been the most exciting sports weekend in total so far in 2022 when you look top to bottom and we'll give you sort of an itemized rundown in case you missed it in case you were like Brandon Newman and you found yourself out in <laughs> Gatlingburg Tennessee over the course of the weekend or whichever town you were in tangent to that as Brandon got out with his entire family to celebrate his mom's birthday. It was a big birthday weekend out there. Certainly want to hear about that. But it, it's incredible to always <laughs> hear how people consume things. Because Brandon, I have had NFL Sundays where I've had to fly for whatever reason and have mm -hmm. consumed it all via the Twitter timeline. I've taken it in based on what my peers and other people have been saying about the games on the internet. There's all sorts of things. And as I sat and just direct injected Parts of this weekend in person, in college football, parts after the yeah. game that we saw in Major League Baseball, what we got yesterday and Sunday, knowing the marquee games that were on the dais there. You were out here kicking it old school and getting this all in on radio, man. Walk me through what the weekend felt like for you trying to take this all in while you're also taking old-timey Western photos with your mom and the rest of your family. <laughs> Listen, I, I was prepared. It's one of those things where, like, you like, okay, you got to check yourself not to be a brat about something. Uh, do you ever experience that? Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah. 
especially when it comes with dealing with family, right? So my mom plans this trip. Obviously, it's her birthday. Her birthday was the 16th. She, you're not supposed to talk about people's age, but she's beautiful and she turned 60 fun. Um, and uh, we, I was like, oh, I know there's going to be a huge football weekend. Like, I'm always the guy when my family's like, I got to watch the games. I got to watch the games. Like, no, I can't go to Sunday dinner. I got to watch the games. Like, everyone it's, wants me to it's do my, like, no. It's my dad's favorite excuse of all time. I used to, he used to say it all the time when he was kids. Like, honey, I got to watch this for work. Like, my mom hasn't been with him for over three decades and doesn't know right, the shit at this right. point. Like, yeah, dude, we get it. <laughs> like, she's not thinking about your his schedule anyways um, and the games. But, yeah, so it was one of those. So I was like, okay, you know what? I've been alive for 32 years. It all started with this woman. I'll give her the weekend, regardless of how big these football games are. Like, I'll, I'll sacrifice, knowing damn sure that Saturday was going to be crazy just doing stuff with her, and then Sunday was going to be driving back home. So, Saturday was a, kind of a wash. I was in Tennessee. I was able to watch the Tennessee-Alabama uh, game in Flavortown, in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, which was wild and rocking because, obviously, it was Tennessee. Um, and everybody was in town. There's a lot of Alabama fans in Tennessee. I think wherever I was is about 20. Uh, Pigeon Ford is about 22 miles away from Knoxville, right? So every you know people are kind of staying away from the place and kind of driving into town. So that morning it was a bunch of Alabama Tennessee gear everywhere, uh, which I love the fact that I was in Tennessee for this historical game, first time beating Alabama ever, I believe. Um, and then on Sunday, Mike, it was. It was listening to football on the radio, and I was surprised at just how much I was able to comprehend how the color was painted. Like, I'm a TV guy. I grew up on TV, um, and the radio just seems like – I mean, it's all bad quality because people are calling in from their phones and things like that, like <laughs> getting reports from people. But, damn, do they do a great job of recapping everything that's happening in the moment. Well, listen, as someone who calls college football games on radio for Learfield Audio that you guys can check out every weekend, very encouraged to hear all that. We love we love to see it. It's a good reminder that there's a lot of people out there that find themselves in that situation and that man. need to tune the dial our way or do it on the Varsity app as well. But no, it, it is wild, man. It's a, it's a totally different sensory experience. And I remember one point driving home uh, when I was still working at ESPN, I had done a college football game. I'd gotten back to Connecticut and I was leaving Bristol's campus for some reason. And I was listening to Doris Burke on the call for the NBA finals on ESPN radio. She was the analyst for those games. And I remember driving around and while radio play by play and TV or radio analysts and TV analysts, kind of a different job at times. I remember being floored. Like how is what she is doing right now at the highest level a person can do it. And what I do even remotely considered the same job because she is so much better at it than I can ever pretend to be. It was, it was humbling to say the least but it's a good reminder that it's still a ton of fun like you said it's a bit of a throwback I think a lot of people associate mm -hmm. that even more so with something like Major League Baseball which has so much of true, the nostalgia true. around the sport built into radio so that's definitely a big one there Brandon I appreciate you trying to act like this is the first time ever that Tennessee has beat Alabama I don't know if you meant that sincerely or not okay yeah well I'll say it's, this. Defi I'll say it's this. definitely not the first time that's happened like <laughs> Okay, yes, in recent memory, I'm, I'm taking some some bar fodder that I, I got in Pigeon Forge and, and bringing it to the podcast. Okay, I, all right. I you're, some, you're, you're taking, you're taking word on road here. Yeah, because I was, I, was I was talking to the guy. I was like, was, I was like, your guys' hump was Florida. Like, you weren't even worried about Alabama. Like, those Alabama losses, you know, water under the bridge, I imagine. 
Yeah, no, it's it is very exciting. I mean, the third Saturday in October, as this game's affectionately dubbed, the cigar pictures that we'd usually seen every year coming out of the Alabama lock, Alabama locker rooms, and I saw a great mm-hmm. story from Greg McElroy, the former Alabama quarterback. Uh, told it on his Instagram the other day of one of the years that he was in Alabama, they're getting ready and they're about to win this game. He was at backup at that point and they didn't have any lighters with them in the locker room. So they're going around to the crowd, people in the crowd asking for lighters, getting the like plastic Bic lighters wow. from people in the crowd. He's stuffing them in his pants and ended up having to go in the game and take snaps with Bic lighters in his football pants <laughs> and believes he is the only player on record to have ever done such a thing. Brandon, I peed in my pants a lot when we were playing some by accident and some on purpose but never had any sort of lighters or flammable material in there so greg's got that one up on me yeah that was that's it's smart but also dangerous with the friction and the, the close corners of the, of the pants uh i imagine it's damp in there though but i did used to rock a sock uh, as i said on the sideline just in case i got a, a groin shot um especially on senior night i rocked a sock when we was taking pictures uh, as a prosthetic right there in the middle. So You actually I know wore that in the game? I remember you putting it in the thing for pictures, but I didn't know you wore that in games. Well, you know, he's on the sideline. You can move you move the sock to the leg for you know, just for comfort. But yeah. Yeah, I mean you gotta you gotta be ready for a picture. <laughs> just flicking it up after the game. Hold on, let me go and adjust the sea snake here quick. I love I love just the idea. People always position. talk about the bottom of piles and fumbles, all the like nasty shit that goes on in there. And I don't know. I've been in the bottom of a lot of piles. I never had anyone grab my nuts or anything like that. People try and act like no. that happens very regularly in the bottom of piles. But I love the thought that someone would have reached to do that with you and just felt a sock and been so <laughs> thrown off that maybe they would have given up the football. <laughs> It's not about it's not about looking and getting nuts grabbed. It's not about nuts getting searched for and grabbed. It's more about like how you blindly look for something with your hands, where you're like your fingers are your eyes. You're just kind of getting in all the crevices. You don't know what you're touching. Oh, dear God. <laughs> and move away from that slowly. And uh, we knew exactly what we were touching. So Brandon took it in on radio. A lot of us took it in on TV. Some of us, I got to, you know, fortunately experience one part of this wild-ass weekend in person. And just to give you an idea of what we had going on, it, it was... Top to bottom, as insane a sports weekend as I've ever been a part of here, you had, going into the weekend, we knew in the NFL it was going to be the Chiefs and Bills matchup we were all looking forward to, Sunday night football with the Eagles and the Cowboys in a division game that we can get to here soon. In college football, we had six ranked-on-ranked matchups going into the weekend, 15 undefeated teams went into the weekend, only nine undefeated teams came out. And you had Major League Baseball's postseason rolling along. So just to give you an idea of what kind of crazy shit happened over the course of this weekend. You had 18 innings of Houston Astros versus Seattle for Houston to get a one nothing win and clinch a spot in the ALCS for the sixth consecutive season. Never before had a postseason game gone scoreless for as long as Game 3. And 18 innings also tied a postseason record with three other games for this 6-hour and 22-minute jaunt that ultimately ended the Mariners' season, Brandon. Which sucks, we were talking about how much we were rooting for the Mariners on this. The Astros, not a team that's going to endear themselves to anybody, but that game just kept going. I, I can't, I cannot believe that. I, as, as much as I listening to baseball is dead, they talk about the game's too long, X, Y, and Z. Oh, this is uh, 
Well, this is a marathon. The, it's it's the it's the difference though, regular to postseason, because postseason I think you're True. more apt to tolerate this because of what the stakes are. And in this one, it was an elimination game. It had all of that to it. So you had that going on in uh, one quarter. You had the Padres beating the Dodgers to advance to the NLCS for the first time since 1998. Petco hosting a playoff game. People are fired up about that. But Brandon, this you know juggernaut Dodgers team that we saw the headline getting roasted and old takes exposed into oblivion saying if there was I think it might have been the LA Times saying if there was ever a season to just cancel the postseason and award the trophy to one team it would be this year's unstoppable force of a Dodgers team that just got humbled by the fathers <laughs> oh my god the fathers I hate it and, I, and I, I'm I'm happy for the Padres because they kind of bought this in my opinion not like the Dodgers did well, I'm gonna say uh, they, they did exactly what the I, Dodgers did <laughs> I mean, yeah, but we, you know, we, the Dodgers won a couple years ago. But yes, uh, I love the, it, it feels like the, the scales are balancing out with the Mets getting knocked out uh, the way they did. And, and now the Dodgers to the Padres of all people, Juan Soto. But yeah, yeah continue. I, I, uh, I, it's, I, it's, more, I, it's more of the, the pitcher, Dar- Dargis. Well, you, 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 you uh, well, it's, it's, it's the sum total of all the moves they made, right? Manny Machado true. having an MVP season for most of the year. You mentioned Juan Soto coming over, hyper-aggressive at the trade deadline. The way that this Padres regime had been. And yeah, you Darvish, the, the pitching group, a lot of that part of it as well, but... Really cool for them. The Dodgers' loss was the first time a team lost a playoff series to a division opponent after not losing a series to that team during the regular season, according to the Elias Sports Bureau. Um, so the Padres, by the way, in that game, a plus 100 plus, uh, they were massive underdogs in this game. Um, let's college football. All right, let's move on to college football. Sorry, I had a bunch of notes okay. on this. Wanted to move I know, down here. I know. Col- college Sucks. football this weekend. So I was at TCU, Oklahoma State, down in Fort Worth. TCU coming into this game undefeated. Sonny Dykes, first-year head coach, going up against Oklahoma State. Took them two overtimes and 73 combined points between the two teams for TCU to get the win at home. Brandon, the fireworks budget was insane around there. I don't know what it was. (laughs) I mean, if you appeared to score points, they were launching off fireworks in that game. It was electric. Um, Quentin Johnston is a name that... If you don't know now, get to know because your favorite team right. in the NFL, if you are wide receiver needy, are going to be looking at this guy uh, coming up in the spring. He was sensational yet again. One of the best receivers in the country that's come alive. College game day at uh, Lawrence, Kansas. He had over 200 yards in that game, was damn near that in this game. They went out and got a win this weekend. Uh, USC and Utah played the nightcap or one of the nightcaps in this weekend. USC lost 43-42 to Utah on a two-point conversion late in the game. Um, Utah out there wearing helmets to honor two of their fallen teammates, two players that they had lost uh, in recent years with special helmets that had gone out and absolutely balled out here. The decision on the two-point conversion made um, by, uh, by Kyle Whittingham, their head coach, was incredible and then Brandon probably the crown jewel in the middle of it all Alabama Tennessee the game that you mentioned there Alabama allowed 52 points in this game in a 52-49 loss that ended on a field goal as time expired the 52 points the most it Alabama had allowed in a game since 1907 against Sewanee according to ESPN stats and info wow uh We've joked a lot about how shitty practice is going to be for the Bama players, but Nick Saban may set a record for 
uh, profanities uttered and gassers run in the early portion of this week. I, I, I could not fathom it. All I could think about was, I wonder if uh, Tennessee bought their team. Obviously, you know, just thinking about the Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher stuff. Like, where where's Nick Saban going to uh, manifest this beef so his boosters can get back in his pocket after a loss like this? Well, I mean, this always goes back to Nick Saban's original point. Is this what we want college football to be when he talked about the pace of play years ago? This Tennessee mm. team is the absolute zenith of pace of play coming home to haunt Nick Saban. Obviously, Hendon Hooker also checks when you've been building out the how to beat Alabama uh, checklist yep. of items you need as a team. Uh, incredibly yep. mobile dual threat quarterback and a team that can run a shit ton of tempo have always been at the top of the list. But this team has done it in a way that probably exceeds all the other ones because uh, Brandon, quite honestly, Looking in the past with a lot of those teams, it's been, you know, Johnny Manziel's Texas A&M team where he was a yeah. Heisman Trophy finalist, but they or a Heisman Trophy winner, excuse me, but, uh, you know, they end up losing enough games to not be involved in the championship setting that year. That was our year. Um, you know, you've got uh, teams like Swag Kelly's Ole Miss teams from back in the day. Yeah. Ole Miss has done it a couple yeah. of times. Being more of a chaos agent, being, you know, what Pitt is in the ACC where you're just there to ruin somebody else's season. This Tennessee team now provides a legitimate contender. And as we kind of get ready to bridge to the NFL conversation here, and we'll do plenty more college football tomorrow as we always do on this show. It, it Brandon, to me, coming off this weekend, the big takeaway, because so many of these games – ended up living up to the billing. So many of mm -hmm. these ranked matchups, you had Kentucky upsetting Mississippi State, which, yes, technically was an upset. I know they were both uh, – Kentucky was 22. Right. I think Mississippi State was 16 in that game. But you yeah. had them manage to pull that off. You had good games across the board. Hell, Clemson and Florida State even ended up getting good by the end somehow, despite Clemson being out ahead for most of that game. What you've got now is a separation, right? At this point in the season, we feel like we're getting comfortable knowing a lot of these teams. We've gotten enough into the conference schedule to kind of know. College football seems to have six teams up top that have a legitimate, I, yeah. I think, idea that they could win a title. And I say that with Clemson. I, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch Florida State overcoming some of that initial season inertia where it didn't seem like they had the same makeup. Right now, you could argue from Ohio State on down, if you go Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Michigan, and Clemson, I think you've got six teams that you could legitimately say it feels as wide open as it ever has. And in a time where we've talked about playoff expansion and about the lack of parity in college football, everyone talking about how NIL is going to make that only worse. I think you've seen this year as well-timed a dose of true parity, where it's not just mm -hmm. lip service. It's not just someone being able to go out there and grind through an easy schedule. This Michigan team got over the hump last year and is building off of that. So we've got proof of concept with that team as a playoff team. Ohio State, Bama, and Georgia really don't need any help. They've been the ones that we're taking seriously. But this Tennessee team going out and getting to, getting a win in this fashion during a year where they've already looked dominant. This is a week after they spanked LSU in Death Valley. Yeah, it, it's it's as legitimately compelling, and I think it's a really well timed dose of this for the sport because with all of the things changing, I think there was this thought that, and I was one of the people that thought all right, well, you're not materially changing scholarship limits, all of this other stuff that would actually affect the makeup of the sport. And so you might just continue to get, yeah, hey, even if we got a 12-team playoff, there's like three teams that can actually win it in a given year. You had Alabama, 
especially in the offensive skill room outside of Jameer Gibbs, come back down on earth a little bit instead of having two first-round wide receivers in the wideout room every year to go along with now a Heisman-winning quarterback, you got to work for it a little bit more. Defensively, we saw they can be got by a team this offensively capable as Tennessee, but you had them come back down to earth a little bit. You've got a Georgia team that doesn't have the greatest defense of all time anymore and is starting to feel a little bit more of that Stetson Bennett pain when they had good teams on the mm. schedule and even when they played with their food for the last couple of games uh, so far sure. this season. And so you combine all that. Ohio State's going to be the one, right? Most people are kind of slotting them as number one on the board here. They're a team that you know played the Notre Dame game earlier in the year. Obviously, that win doesn't look nearly as good as we thought it was going to at the beginning of the season, they're going to get their tests down the stretch here with a couple of ranked matchups, including you know the game against Michigan at the end of the season. But I think you can legitimately say those six teams, I can see a world where any one of them is truly in position based on what we've seen so far. When we get close to the playoff, I'm sure the Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, we've seen them do it. We've got more confidence in them is going to hold true. But I think there is starting to become a true belief based on the early returns we've gotten from these teams. Based on all of these uh, parity wins, as you can say, like more of the uh, any given Sunday on a Saturday, is this does this result – make the expansion of the playoffs kind of null and void? Because I feel like we're getting this parity that we were so desperately wanting just from allowing players to change teams, right? One of the problems with Alabama probably is their depth isn't like it is because now you got the third guy on the roster that could have been a draft pick two years later is, is, now, is now playing for Houston. Uh, no, I don't think depth's the issue for Alabama. I think for them, it's it's top end talent in the wide in like the wide receiver room this year, and some of those things changing. Listen, there's something to be said for maybe the transfer portal in certain places being a little bit more destabilizing. Bama's usually done the portal really well, but I think to your point about the playoff, the thing that makes it interesting is this actually makes it seem like the playoff might have more on-field potency than I thought it was going to. I thought the playoff mm. expansion was just going to be a facade to get more national coverage of the sport for longer, right? When we get down to four teams, right. it ends up being a lot about those four teams at the end of the season. And I thought an expansion to eight or 12 wasn't going to change who won these championships because I don't think the 12th ranked team in most years is even remotely capable of challenging the top three teams in college football. But... true. It's good for recruiting to have all those teams. All the same reasons we've trotted out before. The longer you're involved in these conversations, the better it is overall because we're talking about more teams in a in a manner that's serious for longer in the season. It gives players more reason to stick around as we've seen more guys opt out to take care of themselves for the NFL draft coming up. And it, being able to even put college football playoff team next to your name, you wonder what the trickle-down effect is for recruiting, for coaches who may have been on the hot seat. We've seen plenty of coaches win nine games, ten games a year, and still find themselves facing a hot seat because they can't beat Alabama, Ohio State, or one of the other ilk. And so now, if you're a team that can be what Michigan was to Ohio State for so many years, now that Michigan mm -hmm. teams that may have beaten everyone else but lost to Ohio State find themselves in the playoffs, what does that do for the conversation around you know, a Jim Harbaugh proxy in that job conversation later on? Right. So I thought it was going to be about all those things. This year, you're talking about if you had an expanded playoff that involved all six of those teams as we've seen them, and then maybe we get someone else creeped up at the end of the year because we've got that group of six up top, and then we've got a bunch of those waiting-in-the-wings teams, right? When you talk about Ole Miss, 
Uh, you know, TCU who will work their way up into that conversation now, I'm sure, in the rankings. Plenty of those other right. teams that have found their way into that realm. USC, even with one loss, still going to be there. UCLA yeah. in the Pac-12. That's all going to be a much more, and right now, looks like a much more viable option. And I think the timing of that in a year where we expanded the playoffs is important. So that stuff matters a bunch. I think the one interesting part of the weekend for me will be USC and what their loss means. Because while Pac-12 yeah. folks, I'm sure, are happy that one of the departing teams went and got kicked in the teeth by a team in Utah that's going to be there, that's been one of you know the powers around here for a little bit since they came over to the conference. I wonder whether that's going to be, because USC's also been the reason people are talking about the conference. You've got an undefeated UCLA team that has really failed to draw a lot of national attention because it's been all about USC. You wonder if that changes now. UCLA's going out to Austin to play Oregon this weekend. Right. Going to be one of the biggest games on the weekend, but even with what they've done, it's been a conversation that's been largely dominated because SC's the brand, and SC's been playing well, and SC had... The players coming over with Lincoln Riley and the portal and yada, yada, yada all down the list. I wonder if there is a realization that for the Pac-12, that may not have been the best outcome for you as a conference that's constantly seen itself cannibalized from within and play itself out of these conversations on its own. I mean, you talk about USC, UCLA, and the quarterback DTR. I mean, like, they have a chance to win the Pac-12, and they're on the way out too. And that was the the joke uh, you know, sister school that was just going along with USC, the actual brand. So, yeah, Pac-12 is uh, – it looked good at the beginning, but now it seems like it's a little bit more in trouble. Uh, but Utah, they got Utah. Uh, they do, and we know this year it's uh, divisionless, so it's going to be the two best teams that play mm -hmm. at the end of all this, not just North and South. And so there's still an opportunity for a one-loss USC team to find their way into the Pac-12 championship. Still a chance because we're not done. We know college football is way too chaotic to be this clean, but right now as we sit here, we feel like we've got a true six-pack of teams up top that have a legitimate shot to make this interesting down front. Even if we think... When push comes to shove, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, still teams that people default to because they know them. Tennessee went out and showed you what's possible, and that's not a team that's a fluke or a one-off. That's a damn good football team that just went out and showed that they were the better one on that Saturday. So you've got that going on in college football, Brandon, and in the NFL, I think it's interesting because while the numbers aren't far off, right? We're talking about six teams in college football, and that feels like a right. massive departure from the norm when we've got that many teams that we feel like we can trust at this point in the college football season. In the NFL, right now, it feels like we can trust about three. This feels like about as top-heavy <laughs> an NFL season as I can remember. Because coming off this weekend, and we'll see if I've got the gall to do it when it comes to the power rankings later this week, because it looked like the Chiefs and the Bills are the two best teams in football this weekend. Mm -hmm. We had, in the NFL, this weekend slate was really about two games. We mentioned it was some weird helmet games that netted some weird helmet results for the rest of the weekend with you know the Giants going out and beating your Baltimore Ravens, the Jets going to Lambeau and handing the Packers their first back-to-back -back regular season losses in the Matt LaFleur era. 3-0 at home, Jets. Our three and home away Jets. It's been remarkable as you know Zach Wilson only has to throw 18 passes in that game to beat Aaron Rodgers. So you had all that going on the rest of the weekend, and there were a bunch of interesting results, but this was about the top billing. And boy, oh boy, did it work out for the NFL. Again, the 425 kick for Chiefs Bills that ended with the last quarter of that game essentially being a standalone pseudo primetime game of its own before you ended up moving on to Sunday night football. Um, the Chiefs do go and are able to pull off the win in that, or excuse me, 
the Chiefs, God, the Bills erasure on this podcast. You're <laughs> despicable. Uh, the Bills managed to go pull off this win 24-20, which overbetters beside themselves. So much money coming in on the over in this game. Um, but Brandon, watching this game and then watching Sunday Night Football right after it. So you had, like, in mm-hmm. scouting, you often, uh, I've heard scouts talk about you scouting clusters, right? So you watch a handful of prospects together so that you one after another can kind of see how they all stack up. Similarities and differences to kind of help, you know, as a bit of a slump buster. If you're close on a, a group of guys, watching them in close succession might be able to help. And so we got to watch... Bills, Chiefs, and Eagles all in close succession. And I can loop the Cowboys Mm -hmm. in there because record-wise, they've deserved it. Record-wise, the Cowboys and the Giants have deserved a part in that conversation, even though we know Dak Prescott hasn't been there. And watching all three of those teams in succession there and watching the way that the Eagles allowed the Cowboys to come back into that game down the stretch, it looks like it's Chiefs, Bills, and then Eagles right now as far as especially trust over the long course of the season to say, who do we really trust when it comes to the postseason to be able to go out there and deliver Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are obviously going to headline that list but you and I talked before this podcast the way these defenses both defenses showed up in this game where the quarterbacks put up gaudy numbers is a worthwhile addition to this conversation because both knew that side of the ball was something they had to address this offseason and they saw returns on it in the biggest stage uh speaking about clusters though Mike I think a lot of NFL defensive coordinators, uh, Patrick Graham, if you will, uh, somebody that we know uh, from the Las Vegas Raiders, are looking at that those games like, oh, I don't have that on defense. Like, I don't know if I have the artillery and the weapons to compete against a Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. Well, it's, it's interesting, right? So you look at what that entailed and what this game came down to because – Both of these quarterbacks got theirs. Like, big, gaudy, Mm -hmm. 300-plus-yard passing numbers. Both averaged a little over eight yards of completion. It was a real Spider-Man pointing meme game from two of the biggest freak shows, the two biggest freak shows in the NFL at that position. You had Josh Allen out here hurtling folks. You had Patrick Mahomes doing the normal arm-bending throws that fuck us all up in the brain. And then you had the end of this game. So... You had, on one side, I think Steve Spagnuolo on his own is someone that's such an interesting defensive weapon, right? We saw, you live by the Spags and die by the Spags. You saw the late touchdown to Gabe Davis, all these areas where it ends up burning them when you've got guys one-on-one on on an island out in the corner, because that's just how Steve Spagnuolo gets down. He is going to blitz you, he is going to throw bodies at you, and he's going to challenge his corners one-on-one in coverage. And sometimes in games like this, it's not going to pay off. Then on the other side, you had the big narrative moment because the last play of this game, as Patrick Mahomes throws a game-sealing interception, comes down to Von Miller, the guy that they went out and spent a shit ton of money on this offseason, coming off his Super Bowl winning it with the Rams. Von Miller went out and paid dividends in the big moments for you in this game. He was bought specifically. They went out and paid that man specifically to beat this Kansas City team. We talk all the time about how in college you're built to get out of your conference. In the NFL, you're built to beat your division. At this point, the Bills have transcended just beating the AFC East and understand yeah, theirs is about getting over this very real hump in Kansas City. And so they went out and added Von Miller and schemed up a one-on-one pass rush for him in a pivotal moment that ends up spilling Mahomes for an interception. And Brandon, it, it's hard not to look at it from that narrative perspective and say, all right, well, while we've seen the Bills get regular season wins over the Chiefs and this is about the postseason, at the very least, you wanted to go out and see that little bit of ROI already at this point, and they got just that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because we, we talked about last week about how Von Miller isn't really going to be the guy who's going to sack a Patrick Mahomes. But I didn't consider the the rushes, the touch-ups, like all the different things that he could affect the game because I don't think about it with Patrick Mahomes because when Patrick Mahomes is pressured, he makes magic happen, yes. right? So it's almost like you don't want to put him in a position to to put you on a highlight reel, right? But I just I didn't consider I didn't consider who Von Von Miller was and his, and his impact because that shoestring tackle at the end of the game um, was so big and so huge. But it feels like we we talked uh, yes last week about Patrick Mahomes and how much we love him and how much like you know if we're putting our stake into anybody it's like eh, we got to give it towards the guy who's won the Super Bowl and the MVP. But Mike, it's just it's just a reminder for me that. <laughs> The MVP, the Super Bowl winning, whatever that quarterback is, has to be better than the defense. And I don't think he was yesterday. Uh, I'll push back on better that a little bit. Better than the defense? Well, I mean, clearly not. They lost the game. Like, okay. But it's, this is also about the differences in the team, right? Because you finally got some of the return. It was the Juju Smith-Schuster game for the Kansas City Chiefs yesterday. Yep. Him and Travis Kelsey both up over 100 yards. Travis Kelsey yep. not just operating in the red zone this time. He was really potent everywhere, but you had Juju, right. Juju operating in the short area and then making big runs, right? It was RPO plays that he busted. It was plays on the outside mm-hmm. where he caught him, bounced off guys, and then was able to make it happen after that. Sky Moore a little bit more involved in this game plan, the speedster that they drafted this season. You had all of that there, but then on the other side we talked about this going into the matchup the difference with the buffalo bills right now is stefan diggs and what he Mm. does to an opposing defense and some of that's like i said spags and the way that he plays he's not always just going to be comfortable sitting back there with two deep safeties like the bills were and like so many other teams do against kansas city and taking away big plays i uh i saw this stat uh was courtesy of next gen stats cynthia freeland over the nfl network tweeted this Josh Allen had a perfect passer rating on passes of 15 or more air yards. He was 9 of 10 for 204 yards and three touchdowns on passes just of 15 or more air yards downfield. So the ball's traveling 15 yards in the air. That's the stuff that we talked about everyone taking away from the Chiefs in the last couple of years. That's the stuff that we talked about maybe being the same method you're going to use against the Bills. The problem is personnel-wise for the Bills, they're just more equipped to go out and keep hurting you in that way because Stephon Diggs is a legitimate wide receiver run one that goes out there and changes the way that you've got to address the rest of the defense and so that showing up in this game that we talked about when you look at these two teams and all the similarities may be the difference you know you had that and I think the Bills certainly looked like the more capable rushing football team in this game too overall Josh Allen does play a True. factor in that but their line went out and was able to get movement against Kansas City you saw that little bit there the difference is still going to be and this is just you know what happens when you bank as much you know, uh, in the tank with us as Patrick Mahomes has? It's the Stugats. It's the, all right, well, now you got to do it in the postseason. And we know, Bills fans know that. Bills fans aren't looking at this and thinking that they've arrived by any means, but it's a good litmus test for where you are as a program, and the Bills have continued to go out and Red Queen theory of this thing, right? The theory of evolution is you've got to keep running to stay in the same place. Both of these teams right. have managed to keep evolving to make sure that this matchup continues to look like the best in the NFL, and that's ultimately what I think it was this was the be- these were the best two teams in the NFL going out and saying, yeah, we understand that there have been bumps in the road along the way for Kansas City early in this season as they've worked out new personnel in a post-Tyreek Hill world. When it comes down to it, you can look, eye test, numbers, whatever you want. Those look like the two best teams in football. 
Yes, but I do think the difference between those two teams is that veteran status or that time spent played. Like, it was the Juju Smith-Schuster game for the Chiefs, but I think that's one of the reasons why they had to lose that game or they ended up losing that game because it seems like there's a lot of youth from the offensive weapons side of the ball from the Chiefs. And if it's not youth and age, it's youth and just numbers and experience being out there on the field because it just seemed like the Buffalo Bills offense had played together longer than the Chiefs offense had played together, which is the truth. Well, it it, it is the truth to an extent. Like you do have the through line of Kelsey and Mahomes in the middle of all that. You do have the offensive line that they went out and rebuilt last year. So that group's all finally been together for a season. That group's managed to stay on the field together. But it's also just part of it, too, is the the top end of this, right? The Bills we've talked about is the best defense in football. No one's going to confuse the Kansas City Chiefs with having that. The Bills, we've talked about having one of the best receivers in Stephon Diggs. As good as that receiver core is with Kansas City, they don't have a guy that you're going to have in that conversation anymore. It's all going to fall on 15, and he is incredibly capable of that. You're going to see two interceptions in the stat column. One of them's in the end zone. It essentially becomes a punt there. It's still dire because it's a red zone. I believe it was a red zone turnover the ball was intercepted in the end zone so that stuff matters and then you have the one to end the game but it wasn't like Patrick Mahomes played bad by any stretch of the imagination that's the thing both of these teams look spectacular it's just that the Bills personnel wise at some very critical areas have the better players right now and if they continue to get healthy on defense and shit you had Jordan Poyer driving to this game because he was not cleared to fly after collapsed lung or something last week like them getting some of those guys back as we talked about their back end getting beat up in the uh, season only is going to add to that so uh, Brandon you had that go on with Buffalo and Kansas City and the reason it seemed like they looked like the two best teams is because the Eagles stayed undefeated in Sunday Night Football right the Eagles went out Got to win against a Dallas Cowboys team that is likely playing its last game without Dak Prescott as the quarterback. By by every quote coming out of there, it sounds like he's going to be back under center for them next week. Uh, Philly wins 26-17, and that game got hairy towards the end of this one. The third quarter was a big turnaround for this Dallas Cowboys team, but... Philadelphia looked like a team that we've seen all year long for them where, man, when they're fully healthy, and that's been the biggest difference for them so far this year, right? As much as anything is that team has been fully healthy for a lot of the season in a way that most of their peers aren't. We're going to talk about how we gauge the NFC for the rest of this season because the picture we painted before the start of the year and the picture we've got now are drastically different at the top of that conference. But for the Philadelphia Eagles, we saw this game really turn, I think, when in the midst of this, they came out, they're running this thing right down the Cowboys' throat, right? The first series, they came out and throw it around the yard. Micah Parsons is able to go and affect the game. This Cowboys' defensive front that's been the best. I'll say, I think they've been the best at pressuring the quarterback, and statistically, there's plenty of stuff that bears that out in the early portion of this season. They affected them on the first drive, and then the Eagles said, oh, wait a minute. We got some of the baddest MFers on the planet blocking for us up front. We'll just go ahead and lean on them. And they ran it down the Cowboys' throat, and they turned Cooper Rush over on defense three times on the night, and they had them drowning in the first half. And then in the second half, you had Lane Johnson, the right tackle for the Eagles, and Brandon Thorne, who does as good a job uh, on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL, covering the offensive line position as anyone said. 
Lane Johnson might be the best lineman in the NFL right now, the way that he's been playing so far. Lost him to a concussion in the first half of this game, did not return. Lost C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who they traded with uh, from the Saints to get over there in the middle portion of that game with a hand injury. He ends up coming back with a game-sealing interception later on, but Brandon, it was that meet in between where those two guys went off the field, and now Dallas is a lot more comfortable sending pressure against the backup because that changes the dynamic on that line a bit. Now, Dallas is starting to be able to do more of that move-the-pocket stuff and going after and attacking them with tight ends in coverage in that area in the middle of the field and getting on the board a little bit. And so, it was... Also a reminder that at some point, it's a long NFL season, and you hope everyone's able to stay healthy, but it's just usually not how this works. Now, for a lot of the teams in the Super Bowl, you do get that continuity, and hopefully the Eagles get that lucky because they got a lot of good players we'd love to see on the field, but that's what made it feel a little bit more tenuous to me is, all right, this game ended up being this close against the Cooper Rush Cowboys, who have been good enough, and Cooper Rush has been undefeated leading up till this and deserves a lot of credit for that, but you saw the limitations, right? Cooper Cup ran out of gas in this game. You could see the arm strength is just not adequate enough to get it done over a long period of time. Him dynamic enough in the pocket to get out of trouble, not going to be viable over a long enough period of time. He did his job. He did it admirably. We came up on the limits of that. And this was still a game that the Eagles had a chance to win in the fourth quarter. And so that, I think, is going to be the thing that sticks in a lot of people's craws relative to those other top two teams. Because it's a very clear top three. It's Chiefs, Bills, Eagles, and then everybody else. But it seems like there's still that half bit step, half bit of step difference between Chiefs and Bills and the Eagles in that conversation. Yeah, Mike, at the end of that game, all I could think about was... I didn't do this with any other game that Cooper Rush started. Like, I never thought, like, oh, imagine what they would do if Dak was there. Like, I never played that game because I was all in on Cooper Rush and he was doing a a serviceable job and we didn't know how long Dak would be out. Now that we were getting closer to Dak returning, I started to put my little glasses on and I was like, hmm, this team with Dak Prescott against this Eagles team Versus the team that we saw, I think the game is a little different. I feel like Cowboys fans may want to play that game and be like, oh, well, next time we'll get them. We'll see them again. And I think there's uh, some a, re- a little bit of the reality to that. But I do think that the, the Philadelphia Eagles defense, when it comes to passing the ball, Mike, which is, you know, how people score a lot in this league, majority of the time, I just think they're better. I just think they're better. Well, they definitely are. I mean, you heard on the broadcast, talked a lot. I and mean, we just mentioned C.J. Gardner-Johnson and his importance going yeah. out in that game. Big play slay and that secondary locking folks down the way that they did. I, across the board, I mean, we had it. And it was honestly tough, too, for so much of this game. When they're able to put Fletcher Cox and Jordan Davis out there and go five yes. down. like For a lot of that game, you saw what having a mostly one-dimensional offense will do. When Cooper Rush is not able to go out there and affect you drop-back passing game, even with the guys they have in their wide receiver room who weren't getting open in a steady clip because of those guys, they had five dudes up along the line of scrimmage, and they were making trying to run the ball a living hell for the Cowboys for so much of that game. Because as great as Zach Martin is, when you've got Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, and company all lined up there and Brandon Graham screaming off the edge it's going to be tough sledding to move there unless you can brush them back down the field. And that was where I thought the biggest deficiency was for Cooper Rush in this game is he didn't allow them to get downfield and really affect the game in that way. And so defensively, it makes it a lot easier formula for Philadelphia to go up there and try and impact a rushing attack that 
Zeke Elliott, Tony Pollard, they, they kind of did their usual thing. They've both been really productive, even if it's not always been easy yards. They're both good yard after contact running backs. Ezekiel Elliott now has like that slow top like pinball spin that he does in the middle of the line as oh, he's getting yes. bounced off dudes yes. where he just kind of closes his eyes and rolls and gets after it in a way that's really visually patient. pleasing. Uh, yeah, patient is the is the very nice way of saying that, but... Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Um, all of that's made more difficult. What you just said, though, about... It was last night. Jerry Jones can't do the weird. Well, you know, we'd love to have a quarterback competition when Dak Prescott comes back because that means things are going good around here. Like, no, I'm yeah. sure deep down in places he won't talk about at parties, Dak Prescott was kind of smiling on the inside going to this game going, yeah, all right, quarterback contest my ass. Uh, let's move on with this. Right. But Brandon, at the same time, I am very worried that when Dak Prescott comes back, the first sign that he is not, by the way, coming off an injury to his thumb mm -hmm. as a quarterback mm – -hmm. Which is, mm -hmm. we saw, the last time we saw this was, um, well, we saw Russell Wilson deal with this last year yeah. with the pin in his hand. I forget if that was a thumb or a pinky, but dealing with a, a finger injury for a quarterback. And then before that was Drew Brees. And we saw coming back. Yes. Takes a little bit of time. Yes. Certainly affected some of that for Drew Brees that was one of the most accurate quarterbacks of all time. But now for Dak Prescott, we know if he comes back, and is anything less than the immediate savior of the Dallas Cowboys coming up on first take tomorrow? Is there a reason to go back to Cooper Rush? <laughs> Will be a Chiron that they have waiting in the drafts folder to throw up there on the header because that's what we're going to do now with Dak Prescott is he is expected to come back and we're saying, all right, look at what this team's done. The challenge is going to be, and this is what we said almost immediately after, the challenge is going to be for Dallas. Will you go out and will you do the same things for Dak Prescott that you did for Cooper Rush? Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, are you going to go out here and do some of the same stuff you used to help your backup to put your quarterback, your starting quarterback, the one you paid all the fucking money to, in some better positions to go out and utilize more of this offense and not just say, all right, we're going to drop it back every time? Because we've seen like that's just not going to be the best use of Dak Prescott's gifts, is dropping him back every down and saying, yeah, let's go full air raid like we saw. They've got that tool in their belt 
but it did not prove to be a consistent winning formula for them. Dak just might not be that dude up top, which is fine. It's more than fine, but it's also got to be an admission on the part of the Cowboys to say, all right, we're going to do some of this and allow us to continue to be successful in some of the ways we have been, and then understand that you're going to have more of those throws available to you that ultimately lost you this game with Cooper Rush at the helm. You're going to have more of those physically. Mm. It might not be right away because of the thumb, but it's going to come back here because Dak is just more talented than Cooper Rush, regardless of what some weirdos decided to say online during the last five weeks. I 100% agree with you. Talent is there. And you can talk about talent when it comes to those quarterbacks. And I just want to use the quarterbacks that we are talking about recently with Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, and Dak Prescott, right? The difference between those four right now in this season is turning the ball over, in my opinion. And obviously Patrick Mahomes had that, that – how he ended this game with the Chiefs with with the turnover. Obviously, I think that was a a better play by the uh, the Bills. Who's that? They intercepted. Doesn't matter. Somebody, whoever, like undercut Sky Moore to get that to end that yeah. game was a huge deal. But Jalen Hurts does not turn the ball over. Uh, Josh Allen always does a pretty good job uh, correcting it if he does, but usually it doesn't turn into points the other way. Dak Prescott is the guy who turns the ball over a little bit more than. I think is needed uh, or he can't help the team win because he turns the ball over too much. And I think that's the thing what Jalen Hurts does differently is he does not put the ball in danger. Well, Jalen Hurts also isn't asked to put the ball in harm's way nearly as much. And that's that's the difference is what they're asked to do for their teams. Jalen Hurts has played really well and is a very good quarterback. He's asked to do different things at the helm of that offense because they're a ground-based attack, because they're so potent and strong up front. They've got so much there. He makes some big-time throws. He is not asked to shoulder and buoy that offense the way that Josh and Patrick are, especially not Patrick this year. Patrick is asked to be everything for that team now this season. That's different than Jalen. And even Dak in the past, and that's my point with him, is he's been treated like those guys before. Dak Prescott is not Josh and Patrick. Good point. He's not those guys. And so if you're Dallas and you go out and use the game plan that you have, which is much more in line with what Philadelphia has done, then you've got something here and then you're giving this team a chance to be that successful, which honestly, Brandon, is a good segue into this conversation about the top of the NFC because that's sort of what we're seeing win out so far this year is, the I mean, really the NFC East and then what we've seen in San Francisco – And then I think right below that, the Minnesota Vikings, as far as teams you'd have confidence in going forward. I can hear Vikings fans already, but we're five and one. Yeah, I get it. I've seen the teams that you've played to, and I've seen how those games have gone. And so forgive me Mm. for not necessarily vaulting you to the top of the conference right now. But Brandon, talking about the NFC requires us to update some of the settings that we had going into this year, because what, what was most of the consensus going into this season walking into this year, there were three teams at the top of the NFC that anyone thought had a chance. It was the bucks. It was the Packers. It was the defending super bowl champion Rams. And what we have seen right. from those teams to start is anything but inspiring confidence here. You have got the Buccaneers that just went out and lost to a Steelers team that had Kenny Pickett knocked out of the game and had to put Mitch Trubisky back in here. Todd Bowles after the game, quote, we didn't take them lightly, number one. Number two, I think guys that are living off the Super Bowl are living in fantasy land. You got to get your hands dirty and go to work like everybody else. We've been working hard and we've got to get better. Nobody's going to give us anything. Nobody's going to feel sorry. We've got to get back as coaches and as players. The time for talking is over. You either got to put up or shut up. Like, 
That's an important quote about the psyche of that locker room because Todd Bowles isn't necessarily a guy who's going to come out here and talk just to talk. He is a very man, he's a man of few words. So that to me is pretty telling about where this Bucks team is. In addition to we know all the changes on offensive line, all the receiver, the injured receivers to start the year. You've had a great defense, Brandon. Your quarterbacks just looked less than the greatest of all time so far this season. And I think when you look at the theme between them and the Green Bay Packers, that's been a big part of it is you've had two quarterbacks that because the circumstances around them have been lesser. And we that's as we look at the difference right at the top of the sport, what we just talked about with Patrick Mahomes, right? Your weapons around him got lesser this offseason. Tyree Kill leaving and the guys you brought in was not a one-to-one even fix of that situation. You got worse offensively. And so more is expected of the quarterback, but that quarterback's capable of more at this point in his career. With the Green Bay Packers, same thing happened. You lost the best receiver in the NFL in Devontae Adams. And we all said, all right, well, we've seen... Aaron Rodgers go out here and make other receivers look great. Matt LaFleur in this offensive scheme have certainly helped that. Now you've got Aaron Rodgers, who looks less than one of the greatest of all time. And when you combine that with losing a top-flight receiver, now all of a sudden you've got the growing pains that lead to them losing to the Jets at home. Like, And Aaron Rodgers coming out after the game and saying, it's simple mistakes on complex plays. To me, the natural response is you simplify things or even more things even more, or if you need to make moves, you make some moves. Moves, kind of hinting at what's coming up in the NFL trade deadline and if they'd be mm. active there. Um, so, hold on. Obviously, they, were, they lost Randall Cobb. <sighs> oh, nice sneeze. Big Mike. sneeze. Big sneeze. Uh, yeah, lost, big lost sneeze. Randall Cobb in this game. Um, got more banged up along the offensive line in this game. And we understand that for both of these teams, there could be an argument that as the season goes along, the Packers are getting healthier on the offensive line, and that's going to gel. The Packers receivers are young, and so they have to get better. But at this point in back-to-back weeks, after going and losing to the Giants in London and now losing to the Jets at home, I have a hard time trusting this team, especially on defense. That's probably been the most disappointing part about this football team relative to expectation going into the year. No, you're right. I, I thought uh, listening to Aaron Rodgers' postgame on the radio – uh, it was interesting to hear how tempered he was and how he was trying to protect his coach and his players, but also while throwing his coach and his players under the bus, a type rope walk that only Aaron Rodgers can walk. Um, but it's interesting to see because he, he, he was right. This is the NFL. You have to be steady as, as well as you are down as you are up. And just because the Packers are used to seeing dominance when it comes to the end of the football season and seeing like their win-loss record, that isn't indicative of how good the football team actually is. And I think that's one thing Aaron Rodgers was trying to articulate is that, listen, we're not going to play this up-down roller coaster game yet because we're just getting the season started. we got a lot of things we need to clean up. And one of the things that needs to, uh, to get better is me, but he didn't say it in that way. He said no. the things that they have me doing needs to get easier and better, and maybe you'll see results from it. Well, and that's the interesting part, right, is what he hinted at is basically one of the hallmarks of the LaFleur tree of offense, and you saw it on the other sideline. Mike LaFleur, the brother of Matt LaFleur, was mm. on that sideline as the coordinator it's... for the Jets and put some really interesting stuff out there, some really cool scheme stuff that led to Brees Hall touchdowns in this game who was sensational running the mm-hmm. ball for them again. Zach Wilson only had to throw the ball 18 times in this game. It wasn't a marquee passing attack. It was a complete ass whooping that included a special teams punt block for a touchdown for the Jets. 
all across the board. Quinn and Williams got after that ass up front against that uh, Packers offensive line. But Aaron's Let's talking about, hey, one of the hallmarks of these offenses is motion. When you look at the LaFleur tree of offenses, they're usually all near the top of the league when it comes to pre-snap motion. All these things that are there to confuse the eyes of the defense, right? When you got these guys moving in different directions, you're trying to get the linebackers and safeties to stop their feet for an extra second so that you're really fast guys in the NFL the difference in offensive line from college to the NFL where in college you're expected to get movement. If you're a really good group, you're walking guys off the ball. You're latching on to linebackers. In the NFL, you really just got to get hands on them for a second because these backs and skill players mm. are so fast and gifted. They just sure. need a split second on that seam to go there and get after it. The NFL, you're not going to get dominant movement on most of these guys because they're paid millions of dollars too. And with this offense, it's always been about throwing that motion in there as a means to slow those defenders down for that extra half a second that's all the difference in this league. He's actually saying, hey, we need to do less of that because right now I don't know if all these young guys, in addition to their responsibilities, can handle the mechanics of that, which is a roundabout way of saying, put more on me. That was the old mm. Aaron Rodgers offense when Mike McCarthy was in town. True. was, hey, we're just going to line up and he's going to go back there and be better than most, put the ball in places that most can't, and help all these guys out. Based on the way Aaron Rodgers has played so far this year, I'm not sure how capable of that he is right at this current juncture. Ooh. It's not to say he's fallen off all the way, because that's not what it's been, but this has been a different time right. for Aaron Rodgers, right? You mentioned all the language he used talking about this. This is ayahuasca and podcast Aaron Rodgers from the offseason that is very mindful of the energy <laughs> that he's putting out into the universe, but also one who, coming back right now, it hasn't looked the same. And some of that's been protection, all these things, but... Aaron Rodgers, this is an interesting juncture because if Matt LaFleur takes him up on this as a strategy that they go with going forward, it's essentially saying, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is saying, put it on me right now. And based on what you've got there at your disposal, the tools at your disposal, it's probably your best course of action at this point. If those young guys really can't go out there and shoulder that load, because the part of the thing that we don't talk about with these offenses, with all the shifts and motions and the thing they make use of is it does ask more of you mentally. It does add more to your plate. If you're a skill player on that team. True. Yes. But uh, some skill players on that team are the running backs room. And when we were talking about how good the Packers looked, they were using those running backs and they haven't been able to run the ball very much. Uh, and, and then to, for Aaron Rodgers to put his hand up and say, Hey guys, uh, put more on me. I think that just, it sure is up what the defense is going to try to do against them. But I did think it was it was really – you mentioned something. I, I thought it was really interesting the way that Aaron Rodgers said how he's going to look at this game in the locker room. It, it seems like he wasn't worried about the film as much he was worried about reading the reports of what everyone says after the game, making sure no one is manifesting negative energy. Yes. And if so, he's going to have a conversation with them because he said, I don't think this team is splintering. Because we have some things that we need to get figured out. But I do say, I will say, after reading what everyone says after this game, I'll be able to tell you uh, where the holes in this in this offense and or where the holes in this team are. And I just think it's so funny that you know Aaron Rodgers' assistant is printing out a manuscript of all the post game interviews and giving it to Aaron Rodgers so he can get ready for the trade deadline. It's a it's a vibes based <laughs> approach to game planning right now in Green Bay based on that. And uh, they're a team I talked about. It. I said it after last week against the Giants. I cannot trust right now. I, I cannot trust the Green Bay Packers no. at this current junction. And so Vikings fans, you win at this point in the NFC North, but I don't know how much that's worth 
at this point in time, which is the rest of this conversation, because the Rams were also a part of this discussion. The Rams actually went out and got a win yesterday, and the Rams actually got Allen Robinson to show up to the party and produce in meaningful ways in the game yesterday. Brandon, I, I tweeted yesterday, and part of it's unfair, that when you look at the Bucks and the Rams, those are two teams that, in recent years, have been Super Bowl champions, mortgaged a lot of their future to go and make sure that they were prepared for that moment. The Rams sent heaven and earth over to Detroit uh, to get Matthew Stafford over there, paid out Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald on defense. They got big money contracts in all the key spots, and I had to go and kind of make it work in the margins and other spots, and it was enough to get them to the Super Bowl last year. And for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they had a really good roster, and they plucked Jameis Winston out, they put Tom Brady in, and they won a Super Bowl right after that. And I said the easy, low-hanging fruit thing of, this looks like two teams that are forced to finally pay what they owe after mortgaging their future for the Super Bowl wins, that you can only pay one credit card off another for so long. Now, that ignores an unprecedented rash of injury up front for the Los Angeles Rams. That is noteworthy. They came into this season thin at that position. We knew that based off retirement, based off some moves that were made in free agency. Mm -hmm. They were thin at that position. And they didn't bring Odell Beckham Jr. back. And we saw from Odell Beckham Jr., he feels like he got a low ball offer from them as far as an invitation to come back this season, which is a thing that happens when you don't have as much money to spend because it's tied up elsewhere. So it's not a totally far-fetched idea. We knew not having draft picks at the top of the draft for this long, not having as much capital to work with, at some point affects you in areas like we've seen here where you don't have a consistent number two receiver and you were thin at a position coming in already. Most of their problems have been the fact that you're starting you know, legitimate third stringers and practice squad guys up front protecting Matthew Stafford at this point. So I want to throw them a little bit of bail on that. And Jordan Rodrigo does a great job covering the Rams for the athletic. Mm -hmm. Did point out some of how historically, you know, banged up they are up front. But that's a team in a bit of a different space, right? Where if they can get that worked out, then they're a little bit more of who they've been here. The number two wide receiver thing I still think is something big they've got to get worked out as we near the trade deadline in the back half of the season. But the Rams are also in that mix where right now, if you're asking me, all right, if the 49ers are getting Trent Williams and Joe, Nick Bosa back next week the way that we think they are, do I trust the Rams more than them right now? Probably not. Probably not the way those teams are made up up front. Oh, I mean, you can't, Mike. And I, I, want, I had an issue with you talking about the NFC, and at the very beginning, the Rams went out there and got a win compared to the Packers. Mike, the Rams are playing the worst team in football with the Carolina Panthers. Oh, I get with it. A backup, a backup's backup, and versus the the Packers, who are playing one of the worst names historically in football with the Jets. But that's not the team, right? Like we're talking, talking about the team right now, and the fact that the Rams were trailing to this Carolina Panthers team at any point in time in, uh, in the game. Oh, it was gross. It's proof of how far gross. off they are right now. It yeah, was it, it was gross. There's no doubt. And that, and that's part of it, right? It was early in this game being down at all to a team that just fired their head coach and didn't have their starting quarterback in there. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Um you can see a path forward for all these teams. But right now, if you're looking at the NFC Brandon at this point, it's got to be the NFC East led by the Philadelphia mm -hmm. Eagles. The Giants have gone out there and earned the respect. Along the lines of scrimmage, they're as well-built as any team in the league right now. 
They've been able to go out they there and it. bully people. Bully, bully people. Mm-hmm. Like you said, they went out there and took it. So if you're organizing the NFC right now, I think it's the NFC East, especially as the Cowboys get Dak Prescott back. I think it's the 49ers getting the Cavalry back here because we'll get to your spooky Locktober upset play of the weekend. The, yes. the Falcons went out and took advantage. The Falcons have been a tough out on offense all year. They're a really creative group on offense, and they didn't have to contend with one of the most dominant pass rushers in football, and that changes the math for you on defense. So as they get Trent Williams and Nick Bosa back, I think you put the 49ers in there, and then I think you'd have the Vikings right around in that range. Where, again, it's another team that really, schedule-wise, has had a pretty easy run of it part of that is the nfc north just not being a dominant division at this point in the year and part of it is what's still to come they'll have a tougher stretch coming up as i believe they'll play on the road at buffalo the cowboys and then the patriots in a three pack of games in the middle of the season where the vikings are going to get their chance to show people hey this is who we are but right now i would say talent wise based on what we've seen yeah we know they got that receiver room there but i'm still going to give the edge to the teams that are right now and the way you're winning in the NFC is built off dominance up front and an ability to go and kind of mask some of the limitations of your quarterbacks. Yeah, that that, that top three of the NFC is, is a rough one, Mike, because you know you don't you don't trust number three. <laughs> no, I mean the, really the top th- the top three for the NFC is a one and then everyone else. Like, if we're talking about mm. the AFC as Chiefs and Bills up top, the NFC is the Eagles right. up top, and then a gap, and then the rest of the teams that we're talking about here right now. Yeah, that's fair. I just, I mean, the Giants are, and maybe it's because they beat my Ravens again, and, and the Ravens lost in the fourth quarter again, but I just think with Saquon Barkley, and it's one of those, it's one of those teams where you're not going to list off all the guys taking up all the money, but everyone you list is making a huge impact on every game. Yeah, uh, no, it's it's it is very very true. Um the NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Brandon, it's interesting thinking about the three teams we mentioned that were supposed to be good before the season. If you had to pick one that you thought mm-hmm. had a chance to get into it before it's all said and done, who it would be between the Packers, the Bucks, and the Rams. Like the uh, the one that seems easy because we're all terrified of being the next, you know, Max Kellerman prediction wise is Tom yes. Brady and the Bucks. We're all afraid to be the ones yeah. first to market on saying that that party might be over, even though there's plenty of legitimate football and life reasons to why we're not getting the same Tom Brady and the Bucks this season that we have in the past. But I would also say, like, 
they're getting healthier up front. Donovan Smith's been back at left tackle. Tristan Wirfs is still there. Rob Hainsey, our guy from Notre Dame, has played good ball for them. Like, despite Tom Brady motherfucking them over on the sideline viciously yes. in this last game, you've and then yes. you know you've got Mike Evans. Like Chris Godwin probably won't be truly healthy all season long, but you've got Mike mm-hmm. Evans out there healthy. You've got better than most receiving cores in the NFL. So it just feels like there's still enough there under the hood as opposed to the Rams who legitimately once you get past Cooper Cup you're kind of just trying to figure out how to MacGyver some special stuff and really I think the same goes for the Packers at this point Alan Lazard's been good in certain spots he's not even a bona fide number one in the way most others are and then you get past that it's a bunch of young guys you're still trying to figure out you know which way to the lunch hall inside the Packers facility. So I would, right. you'd give the advantage to B- Tampa Bay just on the strength of Tom Brady making us all afraid and the fact that weapons-wise, there's still people in the building that we've seen do it at a really high level as opposed to kinding of having to look forward and project a little bit more for the Rams and the Bucks, Or the Rams and Obviously the Packers. Obviously, you're talking about teams me. that we... Right, yeah. I mean, teams that we thought were going to be good going into the season. I think what I'm seeing now is there was... Way too much change with these teams that I don't think I was considering. And now we're looking at, like, the the body of the car versus what's in the engine, right? And you got Tom Brady in the engine with his, you know, life issues and, you know, the the team. And I mentioned this with your dad earlier of, like, if the, is the team going to be, you know, gelling with Tom as much? Like, is the team going to try to, you know, play well just to make Tom Brady happy? I'm not sure about that. But anyways, uh, and then obviously – with the Packers and the Rams and the Rams were kind of just like the Hollywood flash. You really weren't sure how, how strong that foundation was in the first place. But I think you got to go with the Packers, Mike. And I know you've loved the Packers in the past and I've always been confused about it, but Aaron Rosters, Aaron Rosters, Aaron Rodgers uh, with that roster, probably Aaron Rodgers with any roster really gets the, gets the leg up in my, in my opinion, because you're going to think about how he's going to be able to affect both sides of that ball in ways that I don't know if Tom Brady really affects both sides well, of the ball as much as Aaron Rodgers does. Well, I think that's the thing, though, is he doesn't have to affect the defensive side of the ball as much. That Bucks defense has been one of the best in the NFL through the first half of the season. We cannot say the same thing about the Green Bay Packers. They, I mean, just True. has not lived up to what that unit was supposed to be based on the pieces on the table. So you're right about us having to pay more attention to the whole car, though. It's because we just assumed Brady and Rodgers, everything's going to be fine on offense, and that hasn't been the case. And some of that, like, to act like you can totally silo yourself off from the life stuff for Tom Brady or for Aaron Rodgers, who has, mm-hmm. again, been exploring True. a lot of different shit this offseason that has taken him away from the football field. I mean, we're talking about minimal bits, but when you combine that with age, it's not far-fetched to say that there's some effect on that. I'm not saying right. any of that stuff is the reason. There's plenty of legit football reasons we talked about. But everything means something, especially when you're talking about people operating at the highest levels that we've ever seen the way that these two are. These two guys that have been, for the most part, especially in Tom, football-obsessed robots for a long time. Aaron Rodgers has always been a little bit of a different guy and a little bit of a different thinker away from the field. But it all adds up yeah. uh, to a certain point here, Brandon. Um, uh, all right, Brandon, uh, before we get to anything else in this podcast here, speaking of things adding up, sometimes costs add up uh, around here. And as we go forward in yeah. this NFL season, we want to make sure that we continue to save you guys money. And we want to do that on tickets. We talked so much about the great sports weekend that we just had. Shit was balling outrageous. It was great. It's fantastic. Plenty. Of, I was fortunate enough to be in the stands 
thanks to my employer down in TCU, down in Fort Worth, to see them upset Oklahoma State. If you want to be in the stands for a game, that's where our friends at Game Time come into play here. New supporter of the podcast, we really appreciate them coming on, having our backs. We want you to do the same with them. And they've got great opportunities for you here with all these great games that we've got. You want to be able to get in the stands. And you want to be able to do that without spending an arm and a leg. I got to do it on the company dime. But with Game Time, you have ready access to so many of these great events at a really affordable price. They're going to find you the lowest prices. They're going to be able to show you what your seat looks like. You can, in the app, view what your view from the stands in that seat is going to look like. You can get those quick options. You can see all the events that are coming up in your area geographically, whether that is sporting events, whether that is uh, concerts, all of the above. It is super easy to use. You can do it right up to the day of the event. It's great for last minute people trying to find tickets without having to go out there and worry about scalpers in front of a stadium. It's a fast, easy, and secure way to do this. Game Time is the fastest growing ticketing app. It guarantees the lowest price on your tickets to sports, concerts, shows, all the above. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and redeem promo code GOJO. It'll get you $20 off your first purchase. Again, that's GOJO for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Download Game Time. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. Um, Brandon, one other thing I did want to uh, ask you, just because he was so much of the story after Sunday Night Football, before we get to uh, our bets from this past weekend, how we uh, lived and died and fared on that college and pro and your underdog pick. Uh, Nick Sirianni, did you see uh, or hear on the radio any of the footage of him after the game uh, appearing to MF the Cowboys sideline as the waning seconds were ticking off that game. He walked through the tunnel and was screaming, how about them Eagles taunting Cowboys fans? A lot of Cowboys folks looking at him pretty sideways saying, your first win in this rivalry was against a backup quarterback in Cooper Rush. Why are you puffing your chest out like this? Brandon, is this hot or not from Nick Sirianni as what I think is now the NFL's premier heel? Oh, this is hot, Mike. This is the hottest of hot. I love it. This is coming from a guy who earlier in the offseason we got a chance to talk to Lane Johnson about it, was MFing a, a Giants fan at a t- tennis court just because he was wearing a Giants hat. Like, this guy is all in on the rivalry. This is all in the NFC East. And I love him because very rarely do you get an NFL coach right now and a young one that, like, personality isn't that big of, like, we don't really care about Nick Sirianni, and I think that's one of the things I, I love about him. He's almost like a, a a quality control coach that's just like really just happy for the team's success. He's he's not quite as nondescript as Zach Taylor because to me Nick Sirianni looks like a hangover. Like seeing him on the sideline, yes. he looks. I said he's got a quiet darkness about him where I feel like. And Chris Long mm-hmm. was having this conversation about which NFL head coaches you'd like to do bottle service with. And I said I couldn't do it. Nick Sirianni seems like he'd be fun, but he clearly wants to pick a fight with everybody. And I don't need him throwing bottles in the club while I'm around here. That guy's going to stay out till the ass crack of dawn, and he's going to punch someone in the face while he's there. He's also someone that seems like after X amount of shots, he's pulling you to the corner. And it's just you two talking, and he's got to tell you something. Yeah. And you got to listen for as long as he's going to talk. It, and it's not some normal shit. Like, it's some stuff you're going to have to take to the grave with Nick based on that look in his eyes. But, no, it was the end of the game. Uh, Odigizua, the tackle for the Dallas Cowboys, looked like he did a double leg takedown on Jason Kelsey. There was a little bit of a scrum at the end as they were running out the oh, clock. Yeah. And he was looking over, and it, I. 
there are some people that think he was saying, you know, that's game, like, you know, telling them to F off. Some people that think he was defending his player, telling them to throw a Diggy Zua out of the game for tackling Jason mm. Kelsey after the play. And I think that makes some difference, right, Brandon? Like, you don't want your coach all up in the video dancing too much if you're an NFL player, right? You're not supposed to be the story. Not too much. At the same time, we know athletes in all sports, you love seeing your coach go out there and fight for the guys, knowing he's going to have your back. It's why NBA coaches get thrown out of games there to show the team, like, hey, I'm not going to let the refs come in here and bully us, push us around, shit like that. Like, I'm going to have your back in a critical moment, even if it's detrimental to me. So there's that side of it, which works. And then there's part of it, like Ben Solak, who works over at the ringer, calls uh, Nick Sirianni the pandering king, because so much of this stuff plays wow. very uniquely to a Philadelphia audience. At the same time, I think there's something to understanding where your feet are. We've talked about athletes Mm. that understand playing in that city. Joel Embiid, who's always really understood what that city values, prioritizes, and appreciates. And don't get it twisted. It's winning before everything. If Nick Sirianni is doing this and the Eagles aren't undefeated in one of the best teams in the NFL, that shit's not nearly as cute. And you would hope that he would have the awareness to not necessarily do that. And so if part of this is opportunistic saying, hey, we're winning right now, and I know this city loves a fiery shit talker, especially when it comes to that team in Dallas... I'd be hard-pressed to really fault him for going out and do it. It's like anything else. you got to know a line, and it's got to be authentic. Like, Lane Johnson has to believe it because players can sniff that out yeah, a mile true. away, and this is still a player-led league above everything else. Honestly, and I think Jalen Hurts is feeding off of it a little bit too. Like, this, he's just, well, he's just such a professional. He, does that make sense? It's, it's a great like, foil. He's, it's he's a great rocky. foil for Jalen Hurts. Because yeah. Jalen Hurts doesn't have to go out here yes. and be the fiery rah-rah guy for the team because not everyone's leadership style is that way. Nick Sirianni is going right. to lead like that and feel good like that. Jason Kelsey is going to lead like that and feel good like that. Jalen Hurts gets to go out and continue to be what I have said he is all along. The word association for him is presidential. That man is buttoned up, yes. composed, and absolutely someone you want as the face of your organization. It could be a football organization. It could be a Fortune 500. Put Jalen Hurts out in front of the pack and you've got someone that's going to get you to the places you want to go. And so it is a good balance in that sense. And you you hope, again, as long as it's authentic, I'm willing to allow most things to go because I'd rather someone be themselves in a position where we're asking you to lead than try too hard to fake the funk. That's what we've got. Right. Yeah. Well, I was saying it's like he's like Mickey. Nick Sirianni's like Mickey. And Jalen Hurts is like Rocky. And – uh, obviously, a more put together Rocky, but like when it comes to the commercials and the money's starting to roll in, they're going to put Rocky out there in the front, even though Mickey is the the more the more uh, animated one, right? It, it's just it seems like there's a there's a through line there. It, there. There definitely is. So I'm sure Nick Sirianni's somewhere right now, running up the steps with a secret to tell on the Rocky steps, <laughs> ready to pull someone aside after a long night of bottle service with the rest of the boys. Um, Brandon, let's uh, review back now the uh, six thick picks and Brandon Spooky October Underdog Play of the Weekend from this weekend. You fared better than I did. Um, the Spooky October Underdog Play of the Weekend was Atlanta Falcons plus five hosting the San Francisco 49ers. And Brandon, the Falcons went out one, one outright, like we mentioned here. It was a great showing from them. Awesome stuff. Marcus Mariota is a part of that rushing attack, was super dynamic in this game. And the 49ers felt that Nick Bosa absence. There's, they're, they're definitely waiting for the cavalry but this is what we talked about with Atlanta they're the team we wanted the Lions to beat because if you give them an inch like this in a game they made them pay for it 
They made him pay for it, Mike. It's all about the variables in October. Good teams win in November, right? In in college football and in the NFL. In October, shit gets weird. Like you can't really tell. So I was very, very happy about this. We're talking about things on the drive. Like I, I told Michelle when I was driving, I was like, look up there, look at the Falcons. Look, what's the score? What's the line? That's the only game I care about this week. Honestly, when it comes to your actual teams losing, the uh, Notre Dame, I don't know how Notre Dame lost that game, Mike. I just looked it up at the end. I can't believe it. You can tell me about it later. When Notre Dame lost, and then I saw, and then the Ravens lost. It's so crazy that the that the Brandon Spooky Locktober Underdog Player of the Weekend that hitting made everything right, man. Right as rain, back to five hundred, perfectly balanced as all things should be in this universe. And yeah, <laughs> yes. I could have gone a whole lifetime without talking about that Notre Dame and Stanford game. I just, man, it was <sighs> woof. Uh, quarterback and receivers that still struggle to get on the same page. I just don't know if top end wise were a, a talented enough football team to go out and, and listen. Right. You and I lived the reality that Notre Dame did in that game a True. lot, which is not being a team with as much enough top end talent to just roll out of bed and beat even a team that had been as bad as Stanford coming into this one. And there's no excuse for losing it. This is what we said a development season. They need to get to a bowl, and now that's a lot harder. you got six games left to win three. You've got three on there that you would qualify as winnable, and then you've got Syracuse, Clemson, and USC that are going to be tough outs if you play that way. Yes. I think Notre Dame can play a bunch better. I think that there's some stuff yeah. there that they can obviously do better across the board, but I think it starts with you're playing a backup at quarterback and your wide receiver room is young and lost a captain early in the season, and you're still waiting for Mike. it to kind of take hold. If it ever will this season. At the end of Saturday night, everyone's in the house. Everyone's having a great time. I look at my phone. I was like, oh, let me look at Notre Dame score. I gasp. Everyone's like, what happened? I said, Notre Dame lost to Stanford. They're like, was Stanford ranked? I said, it was their second win of the season. They were like, oh. It was, it was their first FBS win in like over a year. Their only other win this season had been against Colgate. So uh, not cute. Oh, Certainly, uh, you know what, from a human standpoint, Big congratulations to the Stanford guys. This season hasn't been fun for them. This was their fourth straight primetime game, the last three True. of which had been Pac-12 after dark games. They're running on fumes to come in in that environment and be able to hold it together like that and get a win. That's an impressive performance from them in a season that's probably not going to have a ton of bright moments. And so certainly hats off to them. They went out and won the damn thing. Notre Dame's got, you know, again, this is not what we've had in the last few years here as far as a team that's mature enough at this point to go out and handle the opponents that they need to handle. This is a thing that they've got to learn how to do with this group better, and they've still got time to do it. The goal is a bowl game. That's where they got to be right now. I trust the coaches that sure. we have on yep. this staff, and I trust what we've got at the core of this roster, even if, especially, you know, quarterback and receiver rise right now, it's not in the places we want it to be. There's your Notre Dame deviation uh, on this day. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's Welcome. a perfect segue into the six thick picks from the weekend. Notre Dame, I've stopped betting from this season for my own mental health. Uh, in college, yep. went two and three this weekend. Michigan money line against Penn State. That was a full-blown ass whooping. Uh, Michigan State, or excuse me, Michigan is blunt force trauma on offense at this point with J.J. McCarthy sprinkling in some pretty impressive throws. Um, this was a huge disparity even in the first half. They just weren't converting in the red zone. So I've got Penn State and Minnesota this weekend in Happy Valley. I'm excited to go out there and see how that team rebounds. Um, wow. Uh, 
The uh, loss on the weekend, Kansas plus nine against Oklahoma took the L. Made it close late, but Dylan Gabriel coming back for Oklahoma and uh, Jason Bean coming back down to 2021 levels of quarterbacking for Kansas, probably the formula here. Gave me some hope late. And then Clemson, uh, pretty impressive win at Florida State. They were uh, three and a half point favorites. It got weirdly hairy in the last four minutes. I'd stopped paying attention to that game. And then all of a sudden, Florida State looked like they might make it interesting. But Clemson and DJ Uyungle, like got a lot of praise from Dabo after this game. Rightly so. He's improved a lot this year in his second year as a starter. NFL, we went one and two. Less cute. Uh, the Jags gave it up at the end of the Colts. Mm. Give Frank Reich a lot of credit for staying aggressive. That touchdown late, Alex Pierce, they could have played for a field goal, could have played it close and played it safe. They gunned that thing at the end zone. Matt Ryan had a big time day, and uh, they went out and took a win. They didn't just sit around and wait and see if it was going to happen. Uh, Ravens-Giants, under 45 in this game, cashed in as the win. Saquon Barkley, my hero down the stretch of this game. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau forces a game-sealing turnover on Lamar Jackson, the strip sack late in this game, and the Giants are running out the clock, and it looks like the Ravens, as he broke contain, were going to let him score, which can be a strategy at times to try and get a chance to get the ball back. Saquon Barkley knew this, good coaching by Brian Dable and company, on this as well, making sure everyone's got this situation drilled. Saquon Barkley gets into the open field, has the end zone right in front of him. Overbetters and fantasy football players all want to die. He goes down, takes a turf uh, turf dive at the five-yard line. They need this thing out and stay under. So Saquon Barkley, you have my sword and my shield. Comeback player of the year. It can't be anybody else but you, brother. I am all in on the Saquon Barkley train after that one. And then uh, Brandon the Nightcap, Cowboys. That's how it's done. Yeah. I was saying, Ty Gurley, if you're watching, that's how it's really done. Cowboys plus six and a half at Philly. That was also a loss. Cowboys made it interesting late. I thought they were going to have a chance and do that. And then Cooper Rush just decided to keep throwing the ball to the other team. So uh, that was uh, how that one went. So uh, overall in the season, Brandon Spooky October underdog play of the weekend. Now one and one on the year. Uh, the six thick picks, three college, three pro, 15, 25, and two. We're still looking for a weekend where we get over 500. Still in search of that one right now. Not finding it yet. Um, Brandon. We got it. Before we get to most important parts of this show, one of our favorite parts of this show here, um, one other way I think I can find a way to get a slump buster, sometimes a little retail therapy can definitely help. And to be able to do that without having to break the bank fully, always a good option. That's why our friends at Knockaround Sunglasses continue to be the place you want to go to look good and feel good if you're not. And listen, if I've lost money betting, it means I have less to spend on frivolous things. Sunglasses, though, not frivolous. You need them to protect your eyes. And especially with Knockaround's polarized sunglasses, they're here to help. They cost about $30 a pair. So even if you're losing on some of my picks, you can go out here and afford these Knockaround sunglasses. Fast shipping. 15 different frames, a ton of colors, so much variety. As we get late in the season right now, you might be saying, hey, I need to change it up a little bit. My current game day shades haven't been working. Bad vibes for my team. Change up the vibes. You can customize this with over a billion possible combinations in the Knockaround Custom Shop. You can take them out for a run. They are great. They are lightweight. They got that little rubber strip on the nose so they don't move around on you. Plenty of dynamic head activity that you can do. Knockaround Sunglasses. High quality polarized shades at a truly affordable price right now. Our listeners can get 20% off. You go to knockaround.com, you enter promo code GOJO at checkout, and that gets you 20% off. Again, promo code GOJO at checkout, 20% off, knockaround.com. Brandon, with that being said, my friend, do you know what time it is? Yes, I do. And it's another stretch, but theme. 
It's driving me out of my mind That's why it's hard for me to find Can't get it out of my head Miss her, kiss her, love her Wrong move This, that, and the third Poison! Poison! Never trust a big button and smile This, that, and the third Poison! Poison! Honestly, I didn't think it was a stretch. I think it sounded great. It also underscores that all I want to be in life is a big butt and a smile. I've been working so hard to get enough ass to be considered a big butt and a smile so that I can become untrustworthy. Hey, that's the that's the trick uh, for everyone out there uh, listening. If you're searching for someone in your life, it's all about the big butt and the frown. That's when you're going to find your wife. That is that is true. Because that smile is the one that's going to get you. It lures you in there right there along with it. Right. Uh, listen, a- again, my question to get caked up eternally for every season since now in L.A. it's eternally summer. Trying to be caked up for the summer, man. Flash a smile. Let them know. I leg cannot day. be trusted. Fall. Fall is the perfect time to get into get into the gym for leg day, guys. Because, you know, you're covered up. No one's seeing that cake. No one's seeing that can. Just get your squats in. I need to, I, I don't have a butt anymore. I need to get it. I will have one by next year. All right, July. there we go. Me and Brandon both on a quest to get butts uh, since we already have the smiles. As always, download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. Tell Brandon how much you enjoy the work he's doing on this, that, and the third. And tweet us at Gojo Show. For more suggestions on spooky songs, spooky, for October's yes. This, That, and the Third Ooh. themed intros. Brandon, let's get to this. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Panthers game uh, on the Rams side of things. The Panthers sideline was not having a good time. Steve Wilkes, as the interim head coach after the firing of Matt Rule, had to throw wide receiver Robbie, An- uh, Robbie Anderson off the sideline. Him and wide receiver coach Joe Daly got into it in the first half. They were going at it in the sideline. And in the second half, Robbie Anderson came out, was on the stationary bike with a baseball cap, kind of by himself, wasn't around the rest of the offense as they were making adjustments. In the third quarter, they were down 17-10. Him and Joe Daly got into it again. And this time, Steve Wilkes broke it up and just told him, your day's over, and sent him into the locker room. Robbie Anderson spoke up for himself at the end of the game, said he was confused as to why he wasn't being you know, put in the game and why he wasn't being allowed to affect it and said he hasn't spoken up for himself in the past. Like, Brandon, like it's so close. Like, they want to trade him. He wants to be traded. It seems like everyone involved is trying to do their damnedest to make sure that this happens. Robbie Anderson included, who has seemed to try to go out and execute the James Harden playbook for how do I get on a different team ASAP? His tenure with the Carolina Panthers hasn't been what I'm sure he expected it to be. Matt Rule was his college head coach for anyone that didn't know at Temple. Robbie Anderson came over there, had a lot of success, signed this free agent deal down here that he had to restructure this offseason. And it just hasn't been sweet out here. The quarterback situation plays a huge part in that, but uh, everyone involved will do much better once Robbie Anderson is on a different team, including Robbie Anderson. I mean, I can't imagine how quiet that locker room is. Or still is with Robbie Anderson. Bro, I, like, could you imagine being on that team plane with him after that? Well, no, like, Mike, that's what I was thinking about. I was like, who was next to him in the shower? Like, hopefully Baker didn't need to get a showered up. But, like, like that's... Honestly... For some reason, I feel like it's a little bit worse than Antonio Brown because it's it's not the Antonio Brown show. This is like Robbie Anderson. This is a, a part of a team versus 
uh, Antonio Brown just being his own satellite. Well, I would say this. The Antonio Brown thing was markedly weirder because Robbie Anderson did do shirtless jumping jacks going off the field. And, you know, well, it, but yeah. I will. It's the brand. I though. will. I will but say yes. I say like, oh, man, that's got to be wild doing that. Football players are pretty good at compartmentalizing stuff. Like, I'd imagine that conversation went something like, man, coach is tripping. And then someone else going, shit, man, yeah, you know how it goes. And then everyone just kind of went on about getting dressed, put their headphones back on because they lost and went on their merry way. Like, I do forget this far removed from a locker room how, like, resistant you can be to other people's shit because at the end of the day, Everyone on that team is worried about keeping their own job at this point. What happens when the coach gets fired True. is everyone else is reminded, oh, shit, we are pretty expendable for players who already knew that. And so you're playing for job and tape in other places. You're playing for whatever the next regime that comes in. Everyone right now gets to okay. dial in on some of their own interests. And so if Robbie Anderson wants to pop off on the sideline, I'd imagine some of the things about Robbie's personality you probably knew as a teammate. And so it's not going to be something that you're going to trip about all that much unless you're one of the leaders on this team who still thinks that you know you can salvage the season, which I doubt they do at this point. Most of these guys are realistic. Yeah, like like with leaders on this team, this Carolina Panthers team. But yeah, I, I I hear you, Mike. But I was thinking about the type of personality that Robbie Anderson is, and obviously, like you just mentioned, like I really don't even know like who that is. But he just seems like the person that needs people to get on his side. So you know, when somebody messes up and they get in your ear, like, "Hey, man, you see where I'm coming from, right? Like, you see where I'm going." So if they can run and tell their families, like, "Blah blah," I said they they understood. Like they couldn't they they were me. <laughs> Looking for someone's co-signing ass out here. There's always someone willing to co-sign you in a locker room that's 53 plus 10 deep. Um, I honestly, oh, part of me was wondering if the Rams might try and holler at him on the way out of that building. If you're looking for an now, because oh. whoever picks him up, I think only has to pay around five hundred thousand uh, dollars for the rest of the season as far as salary. The uh, the Panthers would hit a pretty big cap hit, but I believe that next team would get a fair amount of relief here. Let me double. Double check that because I'm pretty sure it's true. Uh, yeah, whoever would uh, whoever would pick him up for the rest of this season would take on five hundred and seventy five thousand dollars in salary for the rest of the year. The Panthers would take a twenty million dollar dead cap hit, so would be pretty affordable. If you if he's a guy you think can come in and be you know more of a model citizen inside a team that's got more going for it than the current Carolina Panthers, um, Brandon. Let's get to that. You mentioned you were in Tennessee this weekend. You probably saw the smoke coming from Rocky Top as everyone lit up their cigars. You had some hard-ass pictures of current players smoking stogies with Peyton Manning, which had to be cool as shit around there. Oh, my God. Peyton Manning and Pat McAfee were a good time on college game day. That was an understandable, appropriate, and perfect guest picker. Um, And the university might be hitting Peyton Manning up for money, too. Um, Brandon, because in the aftermath of this game, the goalpost got toned down. It was one of the coolest college football scenes I'd seen in a while. Goalposts got ripped down. Half of them were carried out of the bowels of the stadium. The upper part, the uprights, were carried through the stands like the people were ants. I thought they were going to try and throw it from the top of Milan, which is a tall-ass stadium and would have been extremely dangerous. But yes. at that point, it was fan law that had taken hold. It was so cool to watch happen. There's a great story um, in The Athletic about the journey of those goalposts throughout Knoxville that night and where they went on their merry way but they need new ones now and university president randy boyd was seen on camera after a game in a video that went viral being asked you know how much that's going to cost to which he responded it doesn't matter we'll do this every year cigar in hand 
Well, mm, 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 mm. while the university is certainly going to incur costs, you're going to have to fix the field, obviously repair the goalposts, and they were also fined $100,000 by the SEC because uh, this was an offense under the league's field access policy, uh, and it was their technically second offense. Now, this feels kind of fucked up because their first attempt was in 2006, and it was a basketball game. So I don't understand how these things are in the, like, Come like on. at some point, Get there's got to be a break on this. It was 2006. We were wearing tall tees back then, for fuck's sake. <laughs> when is it reset? Yeah, at some point, cooler heads have to prevail. But the other part of this that became slightly ridiculous on the cost side was a tweet that Tennessee put out over the course of the day because the Vols Twitter account went online. The Vols football account said, y'all remember how they tore the goalpost down, hauled them out of kneeling and dumped them in the Tennessee River? Yeah, that was awesome. Anywho, turns out that in order to play next week's game, we need goalposts on our field. Could y'all help us out? And the Vol Kickstarter or Vol Starter on the Tennessee website, mimicking a Kickstarter, had a new goalposts fund to help people direct their philanthropic annual gifts towards this. Now, they claimed that it was done in jest. The athletic director, Danny White, told the SPM, we thought it was a fun way to invite Vol Nation to continue the celebration. We heard before and during the game, fans would support a celebration no matter the cost. So we leaned into that enthusiasm. Brandon, how dare they take this great moment and try and turn it into a fundraising effort. Like, I know when we go to an institution that lives to try and get in your pockets after you graduate all the time, and everyone that's ever gone and paid money to an institution is always astounded when they leave how quickly that first email comes asking for you to contribute to some alumni fund with the swiftness. But my God, the cigars weren't even all the way ashed out yet, and they were already trying to turn this into a cleverly worded email. Like, no, you especially cannot lob this to Twitter of all places that is going to sniff out this shit it's one thing to send it into an email that I can easily put in another box or just delete it's another to put it up to a li- for a tweet that's going to live in posterity forever to show you guys going out here trying to grab at this already I honestly I love the move I mean if you think about it this uh, Neyland Stadium's huge sixth largest in college football 102,000 seat capacity Listen, Mike, I said 102,000. 102, if everyone just puts a dollar up, you know what I mean? We could get, we could get, we could get that goalpost back too sweet. Like, I don't know. I, I feel you. I hear you. It seems silly, but it's universities. They're cheap. If they can get something for free, then why pay for it? I mean, college universities are kind of like your dad. You know what I appreciate, though, is that so far they've, they've raised – $70,000 of the apparent $150,000 they put up for the cap on the vol starter here. I'll be interested to see how many people take the bait. Cause again, a lot of people give to the university. This is just different wrapping mm-hmm. for the same gift you would probably normally give. And it's something sort of kitschy and fun. It was just one of those. You ain't slick moments. Like you're not, you're not, yeah, slick. Yeah. you're not slick. That being said, this, Tennessee, the Stugats is strong in you because this is an incredibly Stugatsian move to try and pull off and get these goalposts <laughs> paid for, even as you have plenty of money to go around if you so choose. Um, Brandon, let's get to the third. Uh, I, I want to pose this as more of an either or. 
because we talked already about okay. Nick Sirianni and what he did at the end of the Eagles-Cowboys games, talking a lot of mess, how about them Eagles going through the tunnel in this game to celebrate. You had that on one side in a winning effort. And then on the other side, as last night the New York Yankees evened up the series against the Cleveland Guardians two apiece, forcing a game five, Josh Naylor went and absolutely yard-sailed uh, Garrett Cole in the middle of this game. Is it Naylor? Uh, is it Naylor? Naylor? Uh, no, it's an A. Okay. But uh, he gets up there. Uh, at that point, the Yankees were up 3-1. It was a solo home run in the bottom of the fourth inning. And as he's going around the bases, he looks at Garrett Cole and is rocking the baby at him the whole way. And I mean unloading on him. I forget the specifics of what he's saying, but he was basically like, that's my fucking baby. It was as shit-talkery as I have seen baseball in quite some time. Now, it happened before the Guardians ever had it. They did not end up taking a lead. They did not end up winning this game. They were not winning at this point, and this run did not put them in a spot where they were winning. They were still down 3-2 at this point. So my question is, Brandon, do you have more respect for Nick Sirianni going out there and how about them Eagles and the Cowboys after a win, or Josh Naylor going out here and talking his shit without the promise of a victory already in hand? I got to go with the Naylor, Mike. It reminded me of Hafiz out there, just uh, our, one of our former teammates, hyping up the crowd when he didn't spend a lot of time in the game. I I love it because it was not about the, the competition at that point in time. It wasn't about winning. It was about <laughs> Josh Naylor against that pitcher for the Yankees, maybe against the Yankees as a whole because, you know, the Cleveland Guardians, like F the Yankees. I loved it because it was the most important thing, and it juiced up the entire stadium. That's what I like about it, Mike. It was like it was like they didn't get an actual victory, but everyone felt like they won in that moment. I and you know what? It was a check that he wrote right for Nick Sirianni. He's the coach; like he wasn't out yes. there playing at some point. Josh Naylor went out here and talked his talk. And the beautiful part about baseball is, like you said. Pitchers and hitters, that ends up being a one-on-one matchup. I was better than you. Mm-hmm. And in a sport where for so long we have seen batters because of averages live in fear of showboating because success is such a low-volume part of the game, I love seeing this right. turn that we're on right now. And yeah, it ended up biting him in the ass. But you got to be willing to live by the sword and die by the sword. That's how the game goes. I was never. I say this as someone who is never a shit talker because I was never good enough to go out there and write a check that my ass was going to have to cash or someone else's, and I was always way too tired to talk shit during games. I'm walking back to the huddle, gasping for air, just trying to get ready to go for the next play. I don't need to waste precious seconds and notes on pissing off a guy that's just going to then become better at potentially whooping my ass by me pissing him off. Mike, I've never understood it. I don't want to give anyone the edge for any reasons, but I respect all the shit talkers in football. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Newsom, a good friend of mine, uh, who I played with at Ball State. I think NIU was dealing the balls against Jordan Lynch, and it was they had won the game. And literally, as the play is running, my friend next to me, D lineman, is pointing at every offensive lineman, every person on the team. He's like, "You shitty, you shitty, you shitty. You can't block me. You shitty. You definitely shitty." And I was like, just in a losing effort, just letting everyone on the winning team know that they're oh. shitty. I just loved it. Like, I would never be able to, but I, I love being there. I there. was going to say, man, he's a good friend of yours, so I'm not going to say anything, but that's actually one of the lamest things. Like, I, the the audacity. Because the only time I've ever talked shit was in that same setting, but on the other side. I was on the winning side, and some yeah. kid came in. We were playing Michigan State on the road in 2012. We beat them 20-10. to 10. We're kneeling out at the end of the game, and some bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young kid with a clean jersey came in while we were kneeling it out, and he felt like firing off the ball, and 
the point after, like he was coached by Greg Schiano. And I looked at that kid. It was the only time I've ever unloaded on someone in the game. And I looked at him and I said, see your jersey? That means they didn't think enough of you to have you out here during the portions of the game that mattered right now. You had all that time on the clock where you could have affected the outcome and they didn't want you out here for that. So we're going to kneel this ball out and go home and you're going to shut the hell up right now. It was the meanest I ever was to someone on a football field. That's good. That's great. I'm glad to hear it. Man, listen, if I didn't see you for the other 58 and a half minutes of this game here, I don't have to respect right. I don't have to respect you out here right now uh, making my life harder on a kneel down. It's already a place that pisses me off when D-Lyman fire off. It's the number one argument me and my dad have had all time is guys firing out into legs in that last play of the game gotta affect the game any way you can we appreciate everyone listening to this podcast coming out and trying to affect the game by downloading subscribing rating and reviewing gojo wherever you get your podcast help affect the algorithm hit it in the knees on the kneel down make sure you leave those reviews so people know what they're getting into also make sure you check us out on the DraftKings youtube channel under the gojo with michael jr playlist you can just go to the search tab type in gojo with michael jr you're gonna be good to go it's gonna take you right there thanks so much Enjoy Monday Night Football. We'll talk to you tomorrow.